Episode of the NRL All Stars podcast. This is Barnsley back for the weekly talk and footy episode. And I tell you what, this has got to be the most controversial, content filled talk and footy episode of all time. And we're up to, up to episode 20 for the year now. And I don't think we've had as much to cover and as much that's been as controversial to cover as what there is for this round. The NRL's basically just done whatever they could just to kneecap itself this week. Like it's just it's just unbelievable the amount of things that have gone wrong in the NRL this week. But Matty Person, he was on board for the last talking footy episode last week. And normally we like to rotate in the other few guys that jump on and occasionally a debutante, but because his Tigers got absolutely shafted and he was in my DMs talking to me about it during the weekend and wanted to go on a rant, I thought, look, I, I can't deny him that ability. So, Matty Person, welcome back to the Talking Footy NRL All-Stars episode that you've uh, made one of your own every few weeks, mate. It's good to have you on board, especially with the content we've got coming up. Oh, always good to jump on and chat footy with you, Barty. It's uh, been a spicy old week in the NRL, hasn't it? It really has. And it's um, it's one that we're... Look, let's just jump straight into it now. Uh, for those that are listening for the first time, Talking Footy episodes are hitting every Friday, and that's just about footy. We talk about all the big topics in rugby league and also some old ones to look back at some nostalgia as well. And if you like your Supercoach fix as well, or just instead of this, and we've got those recorded on Tuesday for Supercoach TLT hitting every Wednesday. But first things first, with the round review for round 19, normally we go through the round and the games and everything, but there's just, there's a few big talking points out of it. So instead of going through the actual games, we're just going to go through those few big talking points for round 19. And the first one is obviously the Tigers getting robbed. And I'm going to say they got robbed. I'll give my take on it per se first, and then I'm going to just unleash you for a Tigers rant, being a resident Tigers fan. But I I honestly could not believe what I was watching. It was one of the worst um, calls of all time, but not just the call, the management of it, I thought was really poor. So the few things that I've got wrong with it, I just need to say up front, you know, the West Tigers obviously lost 27-26, Valentine Holmes, kicked a goal after the siren to seal victory because of a captain's challenge. And there was a lot to say about that. Graham Edisley came out with his briefing at the start of this week. And basically it it was really ham-fisted. And to me, it was a bit of a, I don't know, like trying to make excuses, but also admit they were wrong at the same time, which I don't think is what anyone wants to hear. Now, some of the things that came out of that briefing, one, he said, ultimately, they got it wrong and Klein certainly got dropped for it as well. But he said that the end result was wrong because the escort wasn't an escort, but he was happy enough with the captain's challenge. Now, I could not believe what I heard. And there was really a lot of waffle that was just trying to, I think, pull the wool over people's eyes per se with the whole short whistle thing and all this stuff. And you've got former players and the media pundits that have followed the game for 50 years saying, I've never heard the term short whistle. I don't even know what you're talking about. It just seemed like something that they kind of came up with as kind of showing a technicality to get out of it. But I tell you the biggest thing, and let's start off with this as a talking point for this person. The biggest thing that I was annoyed at with that whole NSL briefing and the NRL's explanation of it was they defended the captain's challenge by saying it was a stoppage in play and it wasn't full-time because there was a short whistle, so the uh, call could be challenged. 
the question that needed to be asked in Tony Ennisley in that briefing should have been, but what call are you talking about? There was no call to challenge. Effectively, a captain's challenge is there, and you can look it up in the NRL rules, a captain's challenge is there to challenge a referee's ruling. There was no referee ruling. He never called a penalty. He never called anything. And you cannot just challenge the game. You cannot just say, I'm just going to challenge what's happened in the last two minutes when there was no whistle. There was no whistle to make a call. The captain's challenge is there to challenge a call being wrong. The referee never made a call per so. So how does the challenge take place in the first place? Uh, pardon my French, Barnsley, but fuck if I know. That's the whole thing with Annesley's little analogy that he came up with. Like he, in the end, I was actually expecting to come out with some kind of twisted thing and say that Klein got it right, which he usually does. But it's one thing to admit that. But exactly, what was the call? Like, is this a, any stoppage in play now? So... Does any stoppage in play mean when there's an extra ball on the field, you can try and call something that happened two players earlier? Or like, it's just ridiculous. There's, the, everyone's understanding of the captain's challenge is after there's a stoppage in play, which has resulted in either a penalty, a scrum, a changeover, whatever. So there's been some kind of error or foul play or whatever that's caused a stoppage in play. The captain can then challenge that call. That's pretty well the common sense call of it. There was no challenge to, to there was no call to challenge. And that's in the rule book too. It's there to challenge a referee's decision. Then the referee didn't make any decision. And then Tamo rang up, ran up to the ref saying, Well, look, can I challenge that challenge? Because <laughs> you've now made a call. Can I challenge that? <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing too is that, you know, one thing that wasn't even mentioned in the referee briefing, and it is picked up on the audio on the field, is that it actually, and I counted this for anyone that's wondering, so maybe I'm off by a second or two, but there was 25 seconds for that challenge to occur. And it is well in the rule book that you've got 10 seconds. Now, certainly we see it where maybe it's, you know, 11, 12 seconds or whatever, but you've got 10 seconds. Okay. So if the ref, if the ref's boss wants to be technical and talk about this short whistle crap and everything else, you've got 10 seconds to challenge and the referee in the middle allowed a challenge to happen from the North Queensland Cowboys 25 seconds after. Exactly. Because Klein was in his ear. You could see him the whole time he's trying to, He's trying to tell the players to shut up because he's trying to listen to what Klein's telling him in the ears. And that was before Townsend came in and said, we'll challenge. <laughs> Obviously, Klein's already in his ears saying it could be a, um, could be a escort. Yeah, and, but that's the thing too, right? Like, I mean, if that's the case, then they should have just gone with, you know, the bunker should have said to him, it's an escort, you've got to blow a penalty or it's not. Exactly. You, know, you can't just have a captain's challenge because how many times do we see it? And this is a stupid thing, right? And I urge... I always urge fans to go and educate yourself because it's really enlightening and it means that you don't have to go off what the media tells you. It means you don't have to go off what the NRL tells you. Always go on and, and just have a gaze at the rules because it is pretty easy to look up. Like when you eventually find the rules of the game on NRL.com, you can download the document and then just search stuff, right? And in the rules for Captain's Challenge, there's like half a dozen things you're not even allowed to challenge and all these technical things. They make it really difficult. And the problem with that is obviously that the refs themselves don't even know what they're doing sometimes. Back in April, we had Annesley come out and say that in a Titans game, there was two challenges that were permitted that shouldn't have even been permitted. You know, this has been coming for a very long time. Yep. And the whole problem is that the NRL is so reactive and Annesley, as the boss of the refs, just hasn't been doing a good enough job. And we've spoken about this many times. We don't want to bash refs, but it's just not up to standard. Now, for referees to continuously get it wrong on what the rules are, 
there's got to be something done about it. In this instance, it has cost the Tigers a game because there is no way that that should have been able to be challenged. And whether you want to look at it as there was nothing to challenge because that's the rule, you're challenging a call, there was no call made, or they took too long to challenge. Either way, that was it. Um, the other thing that came out per se too was they said that if they were reviewing the entire play, if you look at the kickoff, Valentine Holmes was actually offside the entire time to kick the ball because he stepped in front of it. Which is exactly the point to if they'd allowed Tarmo to challenge the decision that would have seen that straight away and gone bang. But that, that's one thing aside, whether you agree with it should have even been a, a captain's challenge, which is fucking shouldn't have been, the decision was blatantly wrong anyway. <laughs> that's a, it's just like one calamity after another in the one play. There's no way that was an escort. There's a... a uh, like you can't blame the Cowboys players. Felt that said took a dive, but Kapoa's eyes were just always on the ball. They were way off the play when it happened. You can't. There's, the ref didn't even make the call first to say it was an escort. So, look, how can someone sitting in the bunker make the call that it was an escort? Oh, look, it's it was a horrendous call too. And I mean, let's talk about that actual call. Um, the fact that Annesley came out and said that was wrong. You know, Klein's dropped, but. It's it's a blatantly wrong call. I was surprised that there is a couple of people in the media, like somehow Paul Kent tried to defend it and say, but no, I, I, that, that, that seemed like just theatrics to me on NRL 360. Yeah, 100% it was. That was just all staged. He could do, he's all smirking the whole time he was saying it. It's, it's purely to create clicks and all the rest of it that they do. I mean, I, to, to me, personally, when I was watching it, to be, it was like the Tigers player has come across looking at the ball the whole time. He didn't even know where Felt was. 100%. It might have hurt him behind him, but you don't see once him look back. And to me, that's a prime indicator and criteria that if I'm a referee, I'm looking for. And he never changed the direction that he was running. The direction he was running might have been at a 45-degree angle from the sideline because that's where the ball was. He didn't just suddenly change to try and push Felt off the ball, which is what an escort is. Exactly. And, and I mean, if you have a look at it in, in real time rather than the slow-mo, you'll see that... The Tigers players going at a certain speed. And to me, like Paul Kent tried to change this around and say, you can see the Tigers player go straight into it. To me, I saw Felt accelerate and go to his right to go into the Tigers player. That is how it looked to me that Felt went that and did it purposely to create contact and took a dive. 100% he did. That was blatantly obvious. That's it. I'm no ref basher, Barnsley, you know that, but um, that that was a blunder that, and it actually did, for once, cost the team, directly cost the team two points. It was a disgraceful decision. I like James Graham's commentary of it on Triple M, <laughs> blowing up about it with the robbery and the balaclavas and the shotguns. Oh, that was fantastic. Because everyone's blowing up. It was blatantly obvious. Everyone knows that that was a wrong call. The other thing that it opens up to is that they're talking about full-time being a stoppage in play. Like, which it, it just it doesn't make any common sense, does it? You know, but are you saying now, Graham Ennisley, that when we get to half time, we can have a captain's challenge? And, and are you also saying that whenever plays stop, that we can? Because I tell you what, like maybe you don't make any call at all, but someone kicks for touch and the ball goes into touch. Can somebody just randomly challenge? Like, exactly. I want to challenge because I reckon that somebody got a high shot back there when the referee hasn't actually made any call to challenge. That's, big- that's a can of worms, isn't it? Oh, yeah, and the biggest flaw in Annesley's analogy with that is it's only a couple of weeks ago, the Dragons and the Raiders, when Ben Hunt was lying all over, he did about three professional fouls in the two plays, and there was a six-again call, and it ran out of time, and that was it. And the Raiders players were trying to challenge it, and the refs said, no, you can't challenge, it's full time. 
Yeah, exactly right. That's a really <laughs> good point as well. You know what I'd do if I was a, a smart little cheeky halfback? If I saw something happen that I knew was, you know, going to be going our way, I'd just boot the ball out on the full. Because based on what they've said, there doesn't have to be any call. Boot the ball out on the full and say, mate, I want a challenge back there. I reckon we've got a high shot. Yeah, well, it's a stoppage in play, isn't it? Exactly right. And we talk about these rules that come in and the loopholes that they leave. We've just Don't you just think that this has just unraveled more loopholes now rather than clarity? Ah, 100%. Just get rid of the captain's challenge. Uh, seriously, they're all talking about speeding up the game all the time. That was the whole reason of the six again rule and all that was brought in. The captain's challenge is just, it's already getting exploded. Players line on longer in the ruck to blow a penalty so they can then look at the, have a captain's challenge and look at the, the, the what led to him lying on the ruck like two balls earlier. I've got a real holistic problem with this. And I do think that getting rid of the captain's challenge is a correct call and that's, that's the easiest result. They won't do it though. But my holistic problem with this is that all of the rules that the NRL has created to fix things that have made things worse, none of them are working. You look at the major rule changes the last three years, six again is a debacle and the captain's challenge is a debacle. They're the two major rule changes and both of them were poorly thought out. I think a lot of fans, including myself, were very sceptical of them being implemented and the thought process around them. And none of them have worked. But the NRL is one of probably the worst sporting organisations on the planet as far as admitting error to the point that they will scrap something. And unfortunately for us, Perso, I think that you've hit the nail on the head where the way to fix it is just to scrap the captain's challenge. Because I would probably say to people, you know, what, what is the captain's challenge giving us? And I'd love someone to ask the NRL that question. What is the captain's challenge giving us? You're telling us that the referees are great. The referees do a fantastic job. So it's certainly not doing much there, apparently. Um, so if they're doing such a great job and the captain's challenge is just creating all these issues, then why do we even have it for? We've got stoppages. We've got all this uh, controversy over it happening. And nobody can remember what the rules are because we've made it so difficult on what you can challenge and what you can't and when you can and when you can't. To me, per se, you just get rid of it. Surely that's just the easiest answer and rugby league moves on and can go back to what it was doing before. Oh, 100%. But <laughs> they, you bang the nail right in the head there, Barnsley. They won't. They never take a backward step with these decisions that they come up with, these rule charges that they just do on the fly. It's the only professional sporting organisation in the world that just, it's like they're just reactive. They just come up with this stuff on the floor. Like they're just like they're all sitting around on the piss one day and just, oh, that'd be a good idea. Captain's Challenge, that'll be entertaining. Let's bring that in. And then once it's in, it just stays. I won't be surprised if by next year it's sponsored that it'll be, <laughs> it'll be <laughs> the, the whole Twisted Challenge. challenge. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, look, the other thing that it has brought out, though, as far as needing to be fixed is diving. And that's kind of come into it as well. You know, the other thing, too, is that Kyle Felt took a dive there. Now, I really hate seeing players do it per se, but it's very hard to be too critical of players when it wins your games. And the other thing too is that you have to kind of put the blame on the NRL because if you're going to allow players to do things, and this has always been my motto when when players and coaches are blamed and the media and, you know, the 360 panel and some of the other guys on Fox Sports or Nine or whatever kind of I'm coaches, you know, you've got to stop doing this, got to have some integrity. Don't try and exploit the loopholes. Don't try and exploit the rules. I'm like, no. Nah. Like, if this is going to win people games, these these coaches lose their jobs. These players lose their jobs. They're trying to get new contracts. They're trying to get into finals. It's their job and their right to exploit whatever loopholes are there within the rules. It's the rule makers that are allowing it. And I think that, um, I think Tuvi actually brought up during the week something to fix it is to look at suspending 
um, dives for a week and things. I don't think that you can do that per so, and I don't think it's as bad as soccer where they've had to bring that sort of thing in. But what I would say is that what me and you are both agreed on on many podcasts is that the NRL could learn a thing or two just by having rugby league common sense. And if they stop rewarding players just by the bunker and refs knowing and saying, no, Adam Reynolds has run into that lead runner and it had no bearing on the play, he's taken a dive, play on. Or in this instance, Kyle Felt has taken a dive there and he's tried to look for contact rather than play the game, play on. Players won't do it anymore because they're not getting rewarded. Exactly. That's the the tried in all their their efforts of trying to make these black and white rules. They've just created so many more shades of grey with every decision. And as you said, common sense is what takes the grey away. Serious. It's just like it, there's so many they say all the time. Oh, but no, there's discretion in that up to the ref's discretion, or it's up to the ref's interpretation. Well, if that's the case, even the obstruction rule, the blanket outside shoulder rule. Well, why isn't discretion and common sense used with some of those when the player's nowhere near? <laughs> it's just, uh, it's so frustrating as a fan these days to watch all of this. You don't know what, what's going to happen. You see, and then the bunker, when <laughs> uh, the bunker, this year particularly has been worse than ever, I think, with the bunker. But like a lot of the times you'll see the referee reward the try, doesn't even call for the bunker. The bunker reviews it up there in the refs here. Then the ref goes, okay, we're going to review this. Then they'll look at it another five times, only to go with the ref's decision in the first place. <laughs> like, isn't it all about speeding up the game? Isn't that what they've been barking on about for the last two years? And it just seemed to be going backwards for me. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And unfortunately, it's not going to give the Tigers that win. And it, it, it really should have. But just to finish up on the rules and everything, I mean, it's... It's one of those things where, to me, with rules like this, when you look at how complicated it is, if referees can't understand it and if players can't understand it, how do you expect fans to understand it? And I always say to everyone, for me, what the litmus test is, if you get someone in off the street that's never watched a rugby league game before, can they understand what's happening? And if the answer is no, then you really need to have a look at your rules. You get someone off the street to understand, you know, how a captain's challenge works or what it sticks against for, and, you know, I'll, I'll actually I'll absolutely eat my hat because I don't reckon that anybody would, would they? Not at all. <laughs> my wife used to watch a bit of her footy when she was younger in the 90s and stuff, and she started watching a bit more lately with me. I've got more like explaining her the rules of cricket than I do the rules of rugby league. Yeah, and the other, the other two sad examples as well is that it's one of the reasons why rugby union has gone so poorly. It got so technical and so rule-driven that it just killed the game. And it's funny because it's quite ironic too because the other thing as well is that Peter Vlandy's mandate and certainly Abdo sort of spews this line out as well is that they want to grow the game, they want to get new fans in. But how are you growing the game and getting new fans in when you're making it so complicated that current fans that have watched the game for 30 years disagree with all these decisions or just don't even understand it? You know, obviously that's not possible. Anyway, look, let's get off the Tigers because I'm sure that it's quite upsetting for you. (laughs) And yeah, I still haven't found the cat after a kick. Been going for a week. <laughs> they, look, and, and people sort of say, oh, well, the Tigers, you know, they, they, they weren't going to make the finals anyway. But it's a, it's a big deal if the Tigers end up with the wooden spoon, right? And it's two points difference. Oh, 100%. What if that was the week that Madge was getting the sack? <laughs> Could have been the difference between his coaching career, you know, that sort of thing. But uh, anyway. 
Well, the other big deal that came out of the round was um, the controversial Fanukan suspension, which occurred last night, where he fought his charge and still got suspended for three weeks. Uh, look, watching it live, what occurred was that uh, Fanukan went in for a big hit. There was a head clash. It was very clearly a head clash to the left side of Crichton's head because that's where his ear was split and that's where Fanukan's head was in the tackle. That head clash was reviewed by the bunker, or I should say the tackle was, and the bunker reviewed it for a minute and said there's nothing to answer for. The referee said there was nothing to answer for. There wasn't even a penalty. Now, at the time, personally, watching live, I was actually really um, quite impressed, and I'll give the the NRL a bit of credit. Unfortunately, they used up all that credit afterwards with how they handled it, but the credit was that normally when somebody gets hurt on a rugby league field in 2022, we want to blow a penalty. And I, I thought it was quite brave and also the right call for the ref to stand his ground and say, actually, no, it was a head clash. It did the damage. He didn't hit him high. It, there's nothing about it. It's just an accident. It was a really good explanation and a really good ruling. And I was really happy about it as a rugby league fan to see that. Fast forward afterwards and the match review committee has said, you've you got to defend a reckless tackle charge for two to three weeks, contact to the head. Now, I'm just going to hit a couple couple things on the head right now. Some people have said there, was, there, there wasn't a head clash. It very clearly was because the head clash is what did the damage, okay? People are citing uh, Fanukin's left shoulder with some stills that have been going around from the game with his shoulder and his arm coming into contact with the head. The side of that head that it's on isn't the side that the ear got damaged, number one. Um, number two, both Crichton and uh, also the tackler and Fanukin have both said that it was a head clash and that that's what actually split his ear. So the players have said that themselves. And number three, the other thing that's sort of come up as well is that um, with that still that you can definitely see that it's shoulder to the head. What I would urge everyone to do with stills like that is you can take a still of probably 80% of tackles and you'll find a picture that sort of suggests that there's going to be some, there's some contact with the head. But a lot of the time it's just a brush or it's just incidental. There's not anything there with force or anything that you'd even say you'd notice or is anything, right? That was the case with the Crichton one. I don't even think that there was barely any any brush of anything as far as shoulder to head. Um, and when you're watching it at speed or even slow-mo, you can kind of see that. Um, but per se, to me, Fanukin said afterwards, it's opened up a can of worms. Uh, are you going to suspend all these people that are head clashing? And the judiciary's response and certainly some of the media's responses, because it's a bit split, were it's a reckless tackle because you've gone in um, and you've gone in recklessly, you've gone in at speed and you try to hit hard. And the old school footy fan in me and footy player has gone, so you're telling me that if you go in soft and you try and hit anyone hard on a footy field, then you can get, then the head clash is okay. But because you're trying to tackle someone legally and hard, then you're going to get suspended for it if an accident happens. It just doesn't make any sense. And I think that it sends a really poor message. Yeah, it's absurd. <laughs> I was with you when I was watching it. Like, don't be wrong, it looks spectacular. And at the first glance, you go, oh, what's happened here? Where's he hit him? And then when you watch it, his shoulder hits him in the chest. He wraps the arm around, which spins around and goes over his head because he was on the way down. So there was no illegal contact there. It was a head clash. And the on-field ref didn't call it. As you said, the barker didn't call it. I thought, well, they've got this right. How good is that? And then the next day, next day it's, uh, he's facing two or three weeks for a head clash. And, and I've thought about the reason why they've done it. They've looked at the way that um, Fadukin's run out of the line. He's probably one of the best tackling technique players in the comp, and he hasn't cleaned him up. But if other players 
I, th- I, th- I think this is where the match review committee is going wrong. I'm, I'm only just guessing with this because it's the only way I can justify it. Is that they're looking at that and going, oh, if we don't, we look at that and nothing happens, the other players are going to come out of the line. They're going to get it wrong. So we've got to nip this in the bud before someone does come in and take someone's head off. So that's, that's the only justification I can think of why he's topped the two-week suspension for a, a, effectively a head clash. Yeah, and look, I should say that like there hasn't been there's been penalties before for leading with the head, uh, and I've seen some fans say he did lead with it. He didn't lead with the head. Like I think that if he put his head down and rammed it, like the the classic early two thousands grand final with the Roosters and um and Richard Villasanti oh, smashing it, <laughs> laying out Brad Fittler head first. His arms were behind his <laughs> side. He turned into Roger Ramjet and just went for it. Um, but like something like that, you can say, oh, he's led with his head. He's used his head as a weapon. You know, Nate Miles made a career of it and don't even think he got penalised once. Um, you know, you can. there's a leading with the head rule in there that you're not allowed to do that. You can't use your head to hit someone. He didn't do that, though. Nah, that wasn't leading with the head. So, I mean, I just, I really question, because one of the things as well with the rules that the NRL want to get rid of, and it's also some of the things with the match review committee that they tinkered with the last few years, they obviously wanted to protect players' heads, but they also, um, on field stuff, they wanted to stop wrestling. So they brought in all these things to stop wrestling. It's hard, harder to tackle around the legs these days, even the, the good legs tackles you sometimes you get in trouble for. There's crusher tackles that you sometimes get in trouble for as well, but they, they don't want you to wrestle either. So they don't want you going in and hugging guys and holding them up and you know wasting time and whatever either. But then you get someone that goes in hard and fast and wants to do a big quick tackle and hit someone. And they're saying that's wrong too. So as a football player, I'm all of a sudden going, well, this is really hard. How do I tackle someone at speed in a game with fatigue when I've got all these different tackling techniques I can't do, all these things I've got to look out for? To me, it's just silly. And on the highlight reels, Perso, we will see that for Nukin tackle equivalent that other players have done that's come off over and over again. But the NRL is going to eliminate it if it's going to say to players, basically... You can't try and tackle players hard and come out of the line and put on a hit, you know, because that's what Finucane's done essentially. He's come out of the line, he's hit someone hard and aggressive and put on a hit, and he hasn't actually done it illegally. There's been a head clash because when there's high impact, there's more, you know, there's obviously going to be more spectacular results, and the head clash is probably going to be worse. Do we, as players, do you just tackle softer? What is the message here? Who knows? But that, that that was exactly to my point as to why they've suspended him. But he did nothing wrong, but they don't want to see that because of the they're scared of the ramifications of head injuries and everything the way the way it's going. It's just the game's just going backwards and backwards and backwards. Like what do you do? <laughs> exactly what you said. What do you do? You run in, oh we'll just you know, yeah, hold him up, let him offload, see you later. The game was in the balance. It was a cracking game of footy. He's run out of the line, put a hit on. Uh, do you think anyone would even be talking about this if his forehead didn't clip his ear and make a mess of it? No, they wouldn't. And look, how many head clashes do you reckon we've had in tackles this year? I reckon there'd be 50. Oh, heaps. It's, it's, every round, there'd be 10. And I think that was for Nukin's point too. And it's a, it is the point of some media outlets that have done pieces on this. that it's It's like the first time that, this has been pulled up because there's been plenty of other head clashes and it's been totally fine. So I did find it a bit strange. Um, and there's a couple of things that the NRL sort of done with this too. They do, it seems to get mentioned that, yeah, but the guy's gotten injured. 
And that actually gets mentioned on the field with other tackles too, and a penalty is given. And I hate it because just because someone's hurt on a rugby league field doesn't mean it's something illegal. And the NRL seem to be moving closer and closer to this utopia they seem to have of playing a contact sport that doesn't have contact or injuries. And you just can't do that, surely. So, I mean, again, we talk about football common sense. Where is it, person? Well, it's called Australia. <laughs> it's pretty close to it. It's I mean, just... That's the way it's like, uh, I don't know. You st- this seems to be getting worse and worse. And the whole, it's it's all about bringing the, the fans back, letting kids come in the football. And it's not working that. We're cracking down with all these rules. The numbers aren't going through the roof of kids in junior football and all that sort of It's just so they're just, I don't know, they're, gonna, they're in a dangerous precipice at the moment of really ruining the game to the point where all your staunch rugby league players are going to walk away from it. Who's going to come in and watch it? Yeah, and people sort of say that's like a real, you know, fairy tale doomsday prediction that'll never happen. But, you know, it's it's something that is real. And one of the things that I think, and this is like a, a business thing, um, but it's one of the things that the NRL needs to look at as a business is when you've got customers that are really loyal, they'll stick around for a very long time, but they'll stick around disgruntled and they'll almost be like, you know, the dog that gets kicked for its whole life. And you can kick your dog forever and it'll still be there. It'll still stick around. It'll get a little bit more unhappy, more unhappy, more unhappy. But eventually it'll run away. And it might take 10 years. It might take 20 years. It'll put up with a lot, but it'll run away. And when it does, you'll never get it back. It's gone. And that's kind of what the NRL misses the point of with its customers. You know, you can get away a lot without the repercussions of people not watching anymore or or not turning up as much. You know, maybe not as much, but they'll still do it and support rugby league. But if you burn the bridge far enough and long enough where someone is that annoyed that they stop, it will be very, very hard to ever get them back. And if you get to that point, the game's in a lot, a lot of trouble. I want to finish off first by mentioning how ironic it is that one of the techniques that got outlawed was the shoulder charge. It was said that that was too dangerous to impact the force and all of that. And Uh, that can't get done anymore right so that's a that's a tackling (laughs) technique that's gone which i never agreed with because again if you don't hit someone high what's the problem but it it was outlawed and we've seen a lot of players get done for even shoulder charges that weren't shoulder charges and have to sit out a week because they've been they've cracked down very hard on it for the last seven or eight years or however long it's been right we had in the same game as the finucans three-week suspension Viliami Kikau do a shoulder charge. It was a blatant as shoulder charge, textbook shoulder charge on a player. And it didn't even get picked up by the ref. It didn't get picked up by the bunker. And the match review committee said, have a $1,500 fine, mate. Now, what type of message does that send as far as consistency when you're saying that this tackling technique is outlawed? This is a clear one that occurred. It was done on purpose. It was done as a shoulder charge. And we're going to give you a $1,500 suspension because we thought it was so dangerous. We outlawed it in the game. And we've got another bloke in the same game that has actually done a legal tackle, come out of the line and tackle someone legally and had a head clash. And he's sitting on the sideline for three weeks, you know, and a lot of people have sort of said, Oh, look, you know, people even called me out online and said, so you're saying that Panthers are, you know, given everything and, you know, favored and there's bias and all this stuff, which some fans can't with. I'm not saying that at all. You know, it's, it's not the Panthers fault. It's not the Sharks fault. What I'm clearly saying is in the same game, you've got something that was supposed to be a big suspension and a big no-no and outlawed in the game, not given hardly anything and no games on the sideline. And something else that was totally legal, that got three weeks. 
Oh, this is ex- exactly the point with the NRL. They're about as consistent as an alcoholic's bowel movements. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's fit, fit like when the, when all this first came in with the shoulder charge, even if it didn't hit him in the head, it was a mandatory two week suspension. Remember that when it first came in? Yep. After in the Queensland Cup game, that James Ackerman um, lost his life. Francis Muller hit him with the shoulder charge. As the NRL reaction, that was a massive crackdown, get rid of the shoulder charge, out of the game, anything like a shoulder charge, two-week suspension. Slowly over the couple of years, so it gets pushed under the carpet. <laughs> now it's a fine. And then in the next, in that time, with Memorial, got 10 in the bin for a shoulder charge. Two days later after kick hours went, like, it's just the consistency is just, like, you don't have to come in or going. Ramalara got four weeks for a shoulder charge. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't much worse than what some of the other ones are just getting their fines. They're copying. It's not just kick out on the weekend. This has been happening consistently every week. And I think that this is the thing with fans too. And I'll talk about new fans. Like when you're doing all this to take new fans in, how is a new fan going to feel when, the, when there's no consistency at all? Because they look at somebody get hit um, with an illegal tackle or put it a step further, they look at someone get hit with a high shot that's a swing arm high shot. And they look at someone that has a head clash with a, with a fine tackle as far as what they were doing. And the guy that has the head clash gets more than what the other guy does that actually hits someone high on purpose with a swinging arm. That's happened this year. And everything else, like you just, you look at it and go, I, I don't understand. And this is the thing with the match review committee with the Finucane suspension. Like, I don't want to sound like that I want to suspend someone like Kicker. I'd rather the shoulder charge was there. And look, if it's not there, I'd rather it was a fine for that because I don't think there's anything in it. You know, I don't think Kicker in it. But it's about fairness, right? If if that's a fine, there's no way that Finucane can get suspended from the same game for three weeks, right? Uh, the shoulder charge should never have been outlawed in the first place. It's like any other tackle. It's no different to coming in and swinging and trying to wrap up the ball. And when you get it wrong, you get it in the head, you get a penalty and you get sent off. A shoulder charge is exactly the same. You get it right, you get it right, you get it wrong, you get it wrong. It's just a tackle. And that's the thing the NRL just came, seemed, to, seemed to keep stabbing himself in the foot. They, they crack down at one minute and they don't. Even with the, all the head knocks, everyone remembers <laughs> Magic Round last year when it all cracked down. Mm. And it was like 50 cent. But all that's half of... But this is sort of gone now. Like you don't know what's a what's a symbian and what's not. Yeah, they've they've really confused themselves. And like I've I've spoken about this before uh, with mates and stuff and, and listeners, where I've said, you know, I've seen a legs tackle result in an amputation below the knee. And you know, you're talking about serious injuries or whatever. You know, I saw that in an A grade game. Someone had a really badly broken leg. It was terrible to see. And it was just a, a legs tackle off a kickoff, nothing in it at all. You know, just a normal, it was a two on one legs tackle, but the first guy that got there was a legs tackle. So it was basically a one on one. And that guy lost his leg. Now, that's a travesty. And that was 20 years ago. But at the same time, you know, you don't see anyone outlawing legs tackles. It's unfortunately part of the game. I've seen probably, per se, you've probably the same. I've probably seen six or seven choppers hit a football field in my life for um, scrums for necks and stuff. It's, you know, it's it's the price of the sport you play. It's a contact sport, isn't it? Like you, you don't want to see that stuff. But even you look at like your Jarrell Yous and like uh, Daniela Tuwaki, who just got cleaned up over the sideline, you know, played again. He's still hobbling around on crutches and <laughs> never walked again properly from that. Can't get work and all that sort of stuff. But it was just a grassing legs tackle as he was going for a try, and it was a severely bad break. It's what happens in a contact sport. 
Yeah, so I think that they definitely need to get back to the fact that they understand the type of game that they're playing. Uh, as far as the NRL, the type of game the NRL is administrating and understanding that there is going to be some injuries and we can't have overreactions to them and there has to be a fair playing field. But we need to move on to another big topic of the round. And that was Kalen Ponga copped a, a high shot. Um, I didn't think there was much in it for Lodge. Um, I think because it was Matt Lodge, though, a lot of people sort of had a bit of an outcry about it. Um, I was happy for him just to get a fine. There was no way that should have been a suspension. But uh, Ponga, I, I thought watching it live per se, that he would pass his HIA and be back. And I was actually very surprised that he even needed to go for HIA. But the aftermath of that is that he failed his HIA and he's now ruled out for the season, it looks like, which is a huge blow for the Newcastle Knights. And it's going to start raising a few questions on Ponga because he's obviously got um, a few concussions in six weeks. I think it is three in six weeks or something like that. Uh, he's obviously had some other injuries and whatever, and he signed a $1.2 million contract this year. So certainly Ponga himself was quite upset about it, which I feel bad for him. You, you can't help this type of thing. Even if you're prone to it, it's not really your fault. There's not much you can do about it. And certainly with head knocks, we don't really know enough about it. To, you know, it, It's different for one person compared to the next. It's really bad. Hopefully he comes through it. But that's a really big blow for the Newcastle Knights, and especially that he's their marquee player going forward. You'd hope that he's not going to have too many ongoing issues, but it's been a pretty disrupted couple of years for the young man. Yeah, Pogger, he just he, he plays quite hard. He just seems to throw himself he, in the into the game. He gets, picks up a few of these injuries, but um, the head knock side of things, it, it was if you I had a listen to uh, Brian Sweeney's Magic Sponge podcast, NRL Physio, and he slowed it down in um, slow motion. He actually said, yep. same thing, it wasn't anything that particularly that Lodge did, but as Ponga just stepped and lodged through the arm at it, it actually got him right in the Huckleberry Finn, right in the sweet spot. And he was out before he hit the ground. So it's not really one of those recurring head knocks where it seems in, like it seems innocuous. Oh, I thought it was innocuous too when you're watching it. But we're watching it that and see what the actual point of contact was. It got him right in the button and he was out before he hit the ground. So it's not so much a result of recurring head knocks, but... As far like if you the night season's gone, if you were the Knights, you'd you'd wrap your marquee player up in cotton wool and just let him settle for the rest of the year and go again, wouldn't you? Like he he's, he has had, as you said, was it three and six weeks or something? So I don't think I don't think it'll be a long term problem. Maybe they might want to look at a, a bit of technique or something and getting his head in spots, but you know, sometimes he's just unlucky. Yeah, I mean, that one there was just, you know, and I, I don't even think it's a fault of Lodge either. He had his arm out and Caelan Ponga stepped and it's no, happened no. forever in a day when when a little guy with a good step steps a slow, big front rower, you know, those sort of things happen, right? Yeah, exactly. It was just a, a football incident. It just happened to hit him right in the sweet spot. <laughs> Not much you can do about it. But it's football. Well, hopefully he recovers. Portland. For not just the Newcastle Knights, but he's a really important part of the Queensland team. And he's a fantastic young player that I think everybody loves watching. Um, other thing that's happened this week, and we're going to move on from talking about last round and the things that have come out of it to what's happening at the moment. And the first one is the transfer debacle that's happening. And I'm going to say debacle because obviously I disagree with the NRL's transfer rules. We spoke about it last week a little bit when it was rumoured that the, the storm was after Walsh. And the Stormer grabs David Nofaluma and he's going to end up playing five games for the Storm before the finals start. And I'll, I'll reiterate again why I really don't like it. Um, I think from an NRL p- 
perspective, it's it's really poor management. And it's it's one thing that I think NRL 360, I will give a plug to, I think that they did handle it quite well in their assessment. And I do think that the Fox League team handled it quite well in some of their articles where they were spoken about the fact that it will get to a point at some point where you're going to have a team near the top absolutely pillage someone because there is no rules at the moment. And you could you could absolutely just pick the eyes out of a bottom-feeding team and say, we're going to take these three or four players. And I likened it last week, which I'm happy that a couple of people have jumped on board with because I didn't really see it until I said it on the podcast last week. I likened it to a, a fantasy competition where the team that's last just dumps all their players in a trade to the team that's first and it just stacks the deck. And you never see it per se, like we said last week on this chat, you never see it where... It's a top team that's given players to a bottom team, you know. And the only thing that the bottom teams are getting out of doing this is that they get some some salary relief. I think for no Fuluma, they might save $100,000. But for the Storm, you know, it, it's a massive thing because, you know, being tested in depth is a huge part of rugby league. Um, being able to sign players outside your 17 to be able to cover is a huge part of rugby league. And it's almost like a get-out-of-jail-free card where the top teams are going to be very attractive for these bottom teams just to dump players to. And it's not it's not really fair because to me injuries are part of the game and managing those injuries are part of the game within your club and getting to the finals and winning a winning a trophy and being the number one team at the end to me that's all about what happened during the season it shouldn't be about the signings you make a month before the finals start. That's absolute garbage. <laughs> absolute garbage. It's. Uh, I mean, you're a Tigers fan too. How do you feel about giving up Nofo and having him back next year? I've well? got no problem with Nofo going to the Storm, but they should pay out his contract and sign him. It, we're, the, the difference, like, people have come up with um, things. Like, everyone was TPJ last year, but the Broncos had already released him. He was in no man's land. Panthers signed him. He had already signed with the Bulldogs for this year. So Panthers signed him for five or six rounds, whatever. How that fits under the salary cap is another grey area. This year, Matt Lodge gets um, released from the Warriors. And a month or two later, he signs with the Roosters. There's, there's no issue with that. He's unsigned. Nofaluma signed a four-year contract on 450 to 500k, which is good money for a winger about 18 months ago. He's been playing like a bastard for the Tigers. He's been in and out of the side all year this year. I don't. I just don't understand how. Like we get 100 grand out of the salary cap. Yeah, whoop de do. I just. But it's just a. It's a. Opens a can of worms with like, hey, well, this is allowed. And as you said, for the top teams that might have a couple of injury problems, so I said, all right, we'll, we'll take that. We'll pay him 200 grand. There's 200 grand out of your salary cap for next year. We'll pluck this guy and we'll pluck that guy. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's just going against what the salary cap's about, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. And it's kind of preface this by saying, I'm not blaming the storm and I'm not blaming teams doing it. Anything that teams are allowed to do within the rules, all power to them. It is the NRL's fault. And what, what I was about to say is it's almost like cheating per se. Because exactly. you're not, you know, you're just grabbing players at the end as you stack your team. And that's that, that really pulls at the integrity of the competition. And it really also, what I would say is that there's other issues it can create. Like, um, I think that there will always be the issue of, for Tigers fans, say no for Lim was going okay. Um, or say, you know, he's beloved member of the Tigers and this year he's played a bit better than what he maybe has. If he goes and he goes to the Storm next year and has a couple of years, it goes to the Storm this year and has a couple of years left at the Tigers, 
I think that all Tigers fans would be pretty worried that, well, imagine if he wins a premiership with the Storm or goes to a grand final. Do you really think that he's going to want to come back to us? And we've seen it before where it's sort of been like, oh, maybe not, you know. Um, and oh, if, if he does, he's on that good money anyway, so he'll come back to play reserve grade and record Abby. Yeah, it's, and then I, I take your point too that there is a real big difference between players that are free agents to players that are actually being loaned out. Um, and I think that that's real key in this. I think, you know, again, I'm going to go back to what I said last week. I really think that these type of signings should be happening by round 10, but just to keep the integrity of the competition going. And I would even say that I don't even really want it to happen, but maybe by round eight. And I know that team that some fans will say the counter argument is, well, what if someone's languishing in reserve grade and not being used? Well, you know what? We've already seen so many times how important the depth is. The Storm are in trouble at the moment because of their depth. You know, if you've got players in reserve grade that are, even though for Luma's calibre, in all likelihood they're there for a reason and that they could get called up and get used. We saw the Roosters last year. Like, imagine if the Roosters, with their injury toll last year, released a few players. You know, they would have been in all sorts trying to debut, you know, young kids that shouldn't have been playing NRL and stuff. You've got depth for a reason in, in reserve grade, right? Well, it's, it's punishing those that are good at using the salary cap. You look at Roosters, exactly, it's fine point. They were decimated with injuries last year. They got guys to come in, do a job. They still made semis, didn't look elsewhere. The other, look, you can't blame a Storm for doing it because they're allowed to, but there's another denominator here. They've got a young bloke, Jack Howarth, that they've signed on a five-year deal on 500 grand a year as a rookie. He hasn't even played a game this yeah, year. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, look, a lot of other sides are forced to use young players. The Tigers are. So Your Tigers are using young blokes. They're that, exactly. If they're that decimated by injuries, why isn't this kid that they've signed on 500 grand a year for five years getting to step up before they're going and poaching a player from a struggling club? And, uh, like, taking that one step further, too, it's it's kind of annoying that there's all these rules around your top 30 squad because we've seen it before where teams want to debut someone outside of it. And certainly 20 years ago, you could pluck someone out of obscurity, obscurity and reserve grade and say, this bloke's actually come along the last month. I'm going to put him in first grade. You can't do that now. It's got to be guys in your 30-man squad and you've got to ask for exemptions. Yet we'll allow you know, a, a team to put an exemption in to get a guy in from another team in their reserve grade squad that's not even in your 30-man squad, even when you've got another eight players you could choose. It doesn't really make sense um, because we are pretty hard and fast on rules in the NRL as far as the squads go as well, right? Yeah, and that's the difference with an offer one to where others, like, he's still contracted. There's no player swap. There's no anything. They just, yeah, we'll take him from this and, you get a little bit of salary cap exemption, uh, 100 grand, which is what's that going to do? It's, uh, it, it just opens up so many bad avenues for me with this. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, it, it is one of those things where the NRL has barely spoken about it. And it seems to be, again, it, there's so many of these things where the NRL allows it to get to a breaking point and then reacts to it. And it wasn't meant to happen under Volandi's watch, but unfortunately, it has. We saw it with the captain's challenge. It's really gotten a breaking point now with some of those calls and the referees' decisions, uh, and it, it's happened with other things too, and it's going to happen with this. We're going to get to a point, if they don't fix it soon, where a team is basically going to buy a premiership um, and they would be able to do it under the rules. We do need to move on. Um, I'm going to have an introduction to this topic. This is going to be a controversial topic, okay? So I want to say up front, 
Um, if you're an Arnold Schwarzenegger fan, this is uh, not the Arnold Schwarzenegger jingle all the way, PG. This is Arnold Schwarzenegger commando era where it's rated R, right? So it's going to be some offensive stuff in it. Um, and it's going to be some things that um, maybe not everyone agrees with. Okay, it's a sensitive topic. I want to say outright that I respect everyone's views as far as the Manly Jerseys debacle goes this round. And I, um, if I say anything that offends anyone, it's not my intention. And, you know, if you disagree with what me or Perso say, that's completely fine. What I don't want to see is some of the vitriol from both sides of this argument that has come out online because it is very unwarranted. And it is very much a discussion that needs to be had because if it's a discussion in society that's difficult to have, then I think it's going to be pretty hard to have one in football. Nonetheless, Manly have come out this week, obviously, and thought it was a good idea to have the the rainbow etched on the jerseys for an inclusive uh, jersey that they were going to wear. Before we even get to the hairy part of this discussion, I want to say something that I thought immediately about this. And I don't mean any disrespect to any of the parties that have been spoken about, certainly not the LGBTQI community um, or anyone else. But the first thing that I want to say is, why is it even being done in a women in league round? That is the first question that I ask myself. Right? Because to me, um, and and I'll go one step further, okay? I I like to think that I'm pretty up to date with rugby league. I, I research a lot. I watch a lot. I read a lot. I do everything about rugby league. I actually said to myself at the start of the week, I thought it was women in league round this week. I must be wrong. And me and my wife had that discussion. I said, oh, it must be next week because they're doing a pride jersey this week. And I actually thought there was no women in league round this week, last weekend, when it first sort of started to hit. Because I thought, well, it can't be. I must have got it wrong. Like, so how bad is it that you're doing it in a round that's meant to be all about women and you're doing something that is really not about women? Like, that was the first thing that I sort of, Thought exactly my thoughts. Too, like. I just didn't understand, <laughs> and it's no disrespect to the the premise of it, to what they're trying to do. I think that all that's very admirable and good, and but I don't understand why this round. And I'll go one step further. If it happened in Indigenous round, to oh. me, she's the equivalent of someone saying, "Well, I'm going to have like Aboriginal on my jersey, but I'm also going to celebrate." inclusiveness of all the multicultures in Australia. And I'm going to put flags from everyone, you know, refugees and, and all this stuff. And I'm going to celebrate all of it because we're all part of Australia. I could imagine the uproar if that happened because it's not about that. It is about the Indigenous community. This is a women in league round. It is about the women in league. And the one of the big casualties of this, and obviously, again, no disrespect to any communities, whether they're religious or the LGBTQI community, no disrespect to any of you, you're all going to get talked about as well. But one of the victims that's not being spoken about enough is the women in league. This is completely overshadowed a really important round. And I am ranting a bit here, per se, but I'm pretty upset about it because oh, you're spot on. Like the women in league, right? This is a league. It's that, one of the most important rounds in the NRL. Well, the NRL has positioned themselves at the forefront of being all about women. And we're in an age now where women's rights and equality and all this stuff is big. And we're five years into an NRLW competition, which has now started to kick along finally the last 12 months and going to expand and is all about women. And women are so important to the game. And bystanders don't even know this is a women in league round. There are comments from non-rugby league fans talking about pride round. It is really a huge travesty and something that's being overlooked. 
Uh, it, it's ridiculous. It's, it's one of the most important rounds of the year, the women in the league round. So from the ground roots up, everyone's mum in the, the does the managing and tuck shop or the kids that play footy. The, the, the women, the role that women play in rugby league is massive from the time you're six years old to the time you're an NRL player and your mum goes and watches every single game you play. It's And then as with the, the development of the, the, the NRLW as well, and that's the, that's the thing. That was the first thing that I thought as well. It's just taking the gloss off it. You wouldn't even know it was women in league around. No one's talking about it. And that's that's it's not... Just a blight on Manly because Manly come up with that jersey, it has to get approved by the NRL to play. So whether it's Volandis or whatever, it'd be someone down the line, they have to get approval from the NRL to play in that jersey that week. So it's not just a Manly thing, it's an NRL thing. And it's, it's a massive mistake. I, I cannot believe that the NRL thought this was okay. And... I don't want to harp on about it, but women in league, you know, women get one game to be one game per team for one round of the year to be celebrated. And they are a group of people that are a big part of the rugby league community that need to be celebrated. And this is their round. How we are not talking about them and only them and how Manly thought it was a good idea to pick this round is crazy. Um, and I'm going to smash Manly's involvement in this because I think that they've got a lot to answer for, but you're right. The NRL should be really culpable as well because the pair of them is disgraceful. This is a a pride round is a big deal, right? It's a really important conversation to have and a really important initiative. But we can't even trust clubs to be able to manage their own books. And you want to trust one club to come up with this type of thing. You know, it, I have to decide, are there any absolute idiots? On a round that's already dedicated to another course. Like that's the that's the problem. It's not about it being the 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 rainbow jerseys is a problem. It's not, but it shouldn't have been this round for starters, and it should have been consulted more to, or more organised. The NRL should have just said no. What are you doing? And the NRL <laughs> also should have said, by the way, this is a pretty big, this is a pretty big deal. No one's ever done this in our game before. We're going to take this on board, and we're going to do it. It's a good idea. Let us sit with us for a while, you know. But the NRL, yes, their leadership has just been so off for too long, and, and this is another example of it. But I digress. Manly's leadership on this. I don't know where to start, but one of the questions that's being asked, <laughs> okay, first of all, I thought that oh, I felt really sorry for Des. I felt really sorry for DCE. I thought they did the best that they could. But I know the question has come up per so um, from one side of the argument on this, and it's, you know, it's valid. Even if Manly consulted the players what, earlier, what's the difference? I'll tell you right now what the difference is, okay? If you, were a, if you were a business, let alone a football club, and your most important employees that you are paying $10 million a year revenue to in salary, you do not even know enough to even, you know, ask them these questions. I'd have to say, what type of business are you running? How do you not even know the, the most important people in your organisation that you're paying at the a, most money to? At a pivotal point in their season too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't have couldn't have pulled this at a worse time without consulting anyone, without talking to the players. Oh, we'll just do this. <laughs> I'll tell you oh. what the difference is as well about talking to the players, aside from the fact that they're the most well, important people. Well, it probably wouldn't have changed anything, but it, it's, you would think there would be a process to any of this stuff. I think, I think it would be... I understand that there's some people angry with the players and disappointed and all that stuff. I get that and fully understand, okay? But... 
I would urge people to, in this instance, if you want to know what difference it would have made to put yourself in a player's shoes who is put on the spot the week of a game that they're preparing for that is a pivotal game in their season and basically had to make a snap decision within 24 hours on what, what they were going to do and how they were going to respond to this. Backtrack, Marty McFly DeLorean time, go back to January. You've got seven months, guys. This is what we're going to do. What do you think about it? Oh, everyone actually takes some time to think about it. Everyone looks at it and considers it. Everyone talks to their teammates a bit more. Everyone talks to their church a bit more. Everyone talks to their family a bit more. Everyone gets more feedback on board. All of this stuff is an education. And people can say very rightly that it's about right or wrong and this is the right way to do things, this is the wrong way. Unfortunately, that's fairyland and it's not the real world. There are different people in the world. And I just feel maybe all these players still would have sat out and that would have been disappointing. But maybe if they had that lead-in time, you would have had a chance to get someone like Ian Roberts, who has been really good about all this with Manly and has been outstanding (laughs) in interviews. Ian Roberts would have come in in like January and said, boys, when can we chat? Let me tell you my story. Let me talk about it. And do you really think that players wouldn't have stood up and listened? You would have had players that had months in advance to think about things, months to talk about their church leaders about what should I do, give me some advisement. You know, if you if you manage to change a few of those players' minds over that time, that is exactly why it was bad and manly just to unleash it on them at the last minute. Oh, it's ridiculous. Where does it just come from? Like, if manly want to do it, which is fine. Well, it's a great cause and it's something that needs to be talked about. But they get that disposal. They've got the best advocate for the reaching the boundaries between things with Ian Roberts being a, a, a manly great and the... To this day, the only NRL player that came out currently playing as openly gay. It's uh, they've got the best ambassador there. It's exactly you can do something this. You plan it. You certainly don't plan it to rock up on bloody women in leagues round. That was the thing that annoyed me the most about it. It's just it's just sad. Well, it's typical NRL, isn't it? (laughs) It really is. But like, I'll I'll turn it around too and and talk about the community that's going to be most affected by this right now, and that's the LGBTQI community. You know, that community there um, is now a casualty of this, and it it shouldn't be. And look, I I think that they have a right to feel aggrieved. Like, if you're in that community, you've got a right to feel aggrieved, not just because of you know the player's response, which I understand might be upsetting. Man, is to plan it properly. Manly didn't care about this enough to have a strategic plan. The NRL didn't care enough about this to put the time into it. And it was going to piggyback on another round where 15 other clubs were going to be talking about something else. Like, that's disrespect within the game to that community, to me. And, I, like, I think the game needs to apologise to that community, not just Manly and not, not the players. The game needs to because it hasn't been treated right at all. And surely everybody knew this is an important thing. And... Talking about that a little bit more, okay? Let's talk about that community, okay? Now, I will say outright that I'm someone who supports that. I, I don't care race, religion, sexual orientation, gender, anything. Don't care. I completely want everyone just to get along and just be happy as humans, you know? So I, I don't ever say anything without any bias or without it. But, you know, that community there needs a lot of support and inclusiveness and inclusion is a big part of rugby league that the NRL want to spare out and stuff, do it properly. And if you're going to do it properly, take your time with it so you don't have these debacles because if this all happened behind a closed door, 
I know some people will say, well, you know, it's still attitudes and stuff. It doesn't matter. Get get the bigots out in the open, which I really hate that comment being thrown around. You know, it's being behind closed doors. You can have those difficult conversations. Now, there's difficult conversations in society. I don't know why people think it's an easy conversation to have in rugby league. Yeah, I 100% agree, but it's just it, it's taken completely away from the LGBTQI community. It's taken away from the women at league round. I'm the same, but I couldn't care if you identify as a goat person, you want to marry a frog. As long as you're a great human being, it doesn't matter. We should all come together and celebrate these things and inclusion. It's just very poorly handled from Manly, from the NRL. It, even PVL comes out and says, oh, we might have a, a whole dedicated pride round next year with, without any consultation with anyone whatsoever. Just that That's his response to that. I mean, it, it's, it's just typical, just reactive responses. Let's talk about the players a little bit because I think if a lot of people feel like the, the players have slapped that community in the face and I completely understand feeling that way. Um, I'm disappointed that we're at this point. I'm disappointed that players wouldn't just get involved. But I'm going to defend part of it and I'm not going to defend them, you know, sitting out or, or if they're not supporting people. But I think that unfortunately, and this happens in a lot of the wider media as well, where you, they just run with some information and they make a story out of it. You know, it's things have been thrown around about, you know, uh, the, the headlines like they're going to take it one step further and not attend the game. It, it wasn't even their decision. Like their, their safety, the fans vitriol at them and all that sort of stuff, you know. And I will say, like... Israel Folau is someone that's been compared. People need to remember why Folau got himself into trouble with his religion. He was outspoken on social media, on platforms to millions of people against um, anyone that was in that LGBTQI plus community. He was against them and he verbalised that and was outward with that and proactive in actually sprouting that. You know, these players never said boo to anyone about it. Um, at the end of the day, it came down to it. And they said, look, we'll, we'll, sit, we'll, we'll sit out this round. That's fine. You know, and they were happy with that. Everyone talks about, well, you can have beliefs, but there's, it doesn't get you away from the repercussions. They were fine with the repercussions. From what I understand, they volunteered to step down and just come back next week quietly. None of them have said anything against the community. Now, that community and, and supporters and people that are pioneers for inclusiveness may feel aggrieved by them just sitting out but none of them have actually shown what Israel Folau did. That's the first part. The other part that's come up a lot for the players that they're getting pylons for is, well, you've got advertising about drinking and gambling. First thing is, you know, drinking and gambling have been on the jerseys and have been on the fields forever. Everybody that started playing rugby league knew that. You knew what you were getting into with that. You had time to, and it's part of the job. And you've got time to decide whether that can be part of your job or it can't be. And something like this, it's a little bit different because it's it's around where you're actually promoting um, something that is a really good thing to promote, but it's very different just to playing on a field that's called Four Pines Park. That's, I think, the thing that's key, right? I couldn't put myself in one of these player shoes because I'm not religious per se, but if I did, you know, I would imagine some of the questions would be asked, especially when I've got no time to think about this, would be, well, because it's a pride round, am I, am I going to have to talk? get up and talk about this? Am I going to have to talk about how I feel about this? Am I going to have to talk about um, supporting this and do adverts for it and all this stuff and photo shoots and and videos and social media content and interviews? You know, it's advertising this that isn't a part of their life in their church. And and that's a much bigger deal than what I think that people realise. And I don't mean to make excuses for the players. I'm just trying to differentiate and give people a different perspective that is quite different to an Israel Folau 
And it's quite different to a field being named after a beer that they knew was already there when they started playing footy in the game, you know? So am I completely out of line for trying to, you know, take both sides of this or what? No, you're spot on, Barzi. You and I aren't religious. So for us, it's a no-brainer to um, support the Pride round and all that. The, even the, it's not even Pride round, the, the manly jersey and the rest of it. People need to realise these guys grow up in a really religious community and it's their beliefs and they're entitled to have those beliefs and there's quite strong beliefs in that side of the community and to not be consulted or anything beforehand, there's a a double-edged sword, this whole situation. There's no right or wrong. This is just people's beliefs. So, like, while common sense for us seems to be that it's a no-brainer, just put the jersey on and play, these guys live, have grown up in a totally different environment and for them it's like quite offensive to have that thrown upon them without any consultation and it goes against their beliefs. Rightly or wrongly, that's their beliefs and that's what they've grown up with. So it, it's it's a grey area. There's no right or wrong. It's, just, it's a conversation that needs to be had. Yeah, to, for, for everyone in society to grow as better people, it's a conversation that needs to be had and it, it doesn't need to be just thrown upon anyone on either side of the fence. And, yeah, massive difference with his, Israel Folau. He, he went on his Instagrams and, and put it out there that he was abundantly, openly against all that. These guys haven't done that. They've just, just sat out, basically, put themselves aside and sat out because they weren't consultated about it. And they haven't gone on and gone openly against it. So it's a massive difference between what Israel Folau did and what the, the Manly Seven have done. And, like, I will... Again, with the players say, you know, it's. I think that it's probably glossed over by a lot of modern society, um, what religion is. And like, you can not like or not agree with religion, but it doesn't mean that you don't, you know, you don't understand it or try and respect people that actually have it as a big part of their lives. You have, you have players that are paying 10% of their salary to their church, that are going every week, that are going onto a field with Jesus written on their armbands. And they're doing prayers together before and after games. It is not just something that they believe in. It is their life. It is what they've grown up with. And it is part of them. And just as much as it is absolutely abhorrent to say to a gay man, you should be straight and you should have like conversion therapy, you should change because it's not right. How is it right to say to a religious man that's a 25-year-old that's done this since they were born and that's what they believe in, that they shouldn't be that person anymore. You know, it's, it really feels quite off to me. And to me, I mean, when you talk about this round and we're going to finish off on this, cause I don't want to ramble on about it. You know, I find it quite upsetting for everyone involved because I want everyone to be happy, but this is meant to be around where what Manly were trying to do with that community is promote inclusiveness and acceptance. And while we're doing that promotion of inclusive and acceptance, if you don't agree with it, like someone who's very religious, you can't agree with it because of their belief system, then we don't want to include you and we don't want to accept you and we want to ridicule you and have a go at you. you know? And that's just, that's just a little bit over the top for me because it's a bit hypocritical. I've learned a very long time ago, and it's probably one of the biggest things that I've matured about as a man as I've gotten older, is that if you've got a different opinion to someone else, go into them with a baseball bat is nowhere near as effective as inviting them over for dinner and having a beer and talking to them and understanding each other. I mean, you, you could. There's an argument there. You could have. Uh, could they throw a different jersey? Yeah, like could the the guys that support it throw in the the rainbow jersey and the other guys just playing the normal jersey? Well, that's been thrown up there as well. Um, and I guess it's an option. I I have to say, like, I really fear for 
everyone involved in that scenario. Like I fear for, you know, a young lesbian rugby league player that's 14 years old seeing seven star players identified that don't want to wear that and how that might be perceived. Um, And I would also fear for the players on the persecution they're going to get because the wider media outside of rugby league, you can imagine the headlines, right? You know, seven bigots turn up for the Cronulla Sharks this week that wouldn't wear the rainbow. That would be the story, whether it's accurate or not. I think it's disappointing for everyone. I really do. I don't think there's any winners out of this. And um, I will probably say that, you know, if you think that religion isn't something that needs to be taken seriously, there is a reason why it's been around in our society for thousands of years. And when you're talking about discrimination, the things that are brought up are gender, race, and religion. Those are the three things, you know, there's a reason why it's in there. Whether you agree with it or, you know, understand it, it doesn't matter. That's in there. And there's a reason why it's in there. So it's got to be respected as well to a degree. Um, And as long as the players are towing the line and doing the right things. Now they haven't said anything that's been derogatory. Um, They haven't, you know, they haven't done anything other than say that they'll sit down for the round. As far as what what the NRL can do, you know, education is key. You know, and like I said, if Manly did it earlier in the year, I feel like the players could have got a bit more of a different perspective in education. As could other people about their religion too. Understanding and talking is going to help everyone, but we're not doing that. We're unfortunately a society that wants everyone to do what is the perceived way to do things, and that's it. And we don't want to listen to anyone else, but we want to include everyone and, and make everyone happy. That just doesn't work. And I'll finish off by saying with all of this, what can the NRL do? You mentioned the different jerseys. I, I don't think that works. But, you know, the NRL have a lot of time to come up with strategic plans about this stuff. I would say to you off the top of my head, I was talking about this this afternoon. You could all wear not this, you could all wear the same jerseys in a round, but you could partner with half a dozen different LGBT QI plus communities, fundraising for the round. You could do um, media for social, uh, interviews, TV, everything. Um, You can put together reels. You can put together media and advertising, which does include all the players that are happy to be in there and not everyone's going to be able to be in them anyway. So it doesn't single anyone out and also shows support. You could still do all of this. You know, just just thinking around has to be about different coloured jerseys. It's really narrow-viewed. Yeah, you've not on the head there, Bonzi. It's just like it's there's so much planning that can go into doing this properly. Just this one-off throw-off event that's just created all kinds of negative media. It's not the answer to, to what they should be trying to do to promote the community and the game. Well, I think the point is, per se, there's a lot of things that you can do without just putting some different colours on a jersey. And I would, in fact, say, like, if you're doing all that other stuff and you're raising all this money and awareness and education, you're partnering with all these communities and all these organisations, and anybody wants to have a crack because the jerseys haven't had a colour added to them, then I would, if I'm the NRL, I'd say, be my guest. Look at all this stuff that we've done and, and you... Pelicans want to focus on the fact we didn't put a different colour on our jersey. Like, forget it. You know, you, you could do it fine. At the moment, unfortunately, it's been a little bit harder because of how Manly's handled it. But I hope that everyone can come out of it safely. I hope that community can come out of it safely with, with support. And I hope that players get some support as well because they've had a lot thrown at them as well. We need to move on. We need to finish up the podcast with something positive per se. You need to take a quick break to mention the partner of the All-Stars podcast in Topsport, topsport.com.au. You can go there today and have a look at a 100% Australian-owned bookmaker that often has the best odds in market. You can also use a really easy-to-use app and download that on your smartphone today. But Topsport have 
fantastic odds, but they've also got some great markets. It's not just all about sport and rugby league. It's also about racing as well, where you can get some great odds. But also if you're a super coach buff and you like betting on super coach, you can bet on fantasy sports scoring there as well, which is great. So the player performance market, you can go over and under on scoring. It's a different point system, but it is based on the NRL stats. So it's based on the real NRL stats that you can see each game. And it's a real fun way to get involved if you like to have a punt too. But if you're going to, make sure you gamble responsibly. But make sure that you also, if you're going to create an account today, use the promo code from this podcast. That is that is SC All Stars, all one word. Use that promo code when you create an account at topsport.com.au today. They'll know that you're one of our listeners and take great care of you because of that. But topsport.com.au, go jump on them today. Legend Rewind. This is um, one for you. I threw your bone here with this one. Uh, Big fella. Legend. Six foot five, 115 kilos, throwback to the 80s. Absolute carnage he would create with the ball and without it. Big Paul Sirenen, Siro. He is the current uh, record holder for the Balmain Tigers for the most games played at 246. 22 tries in that time, including in one of the greatest ever grand finals, which he lost in 1989 where he scored a try before halftime to put his side up 12-2 and they lost to the brilliant Raiders. That was a side that was stacked with guys like Blocker Roach, Wayne Pierce, Benny Elias and Gary Jack. But he um, he, he had a really interesting story, Perso. Uh, a lot of people probably don't know, but he before he actually debuted in the, in the NRL or the ARL at the time, um, yeah, he's playing Reggie's. But he actually got scouted and ended up on a scholarship to the University of Hawaii to play gridiron um, and to uh, maybe even get into the NFL. And he went and did that before he actually debuted in 86. Um, and when he debuted, um, one of the things that got him across the line that he says in a lot of interviews was the fact that he was, um, he put on a lot of size, muscle. He, they had like really big training regimes that, they, that we didn't really have here at the time. Um, and it helped him out physically a lot. And he was really noticed in reserve grade and that got him his first grade debut. But imagine getting plucked out you know, people think this is a, a modern thing with the NFL actually looking at players over here and stuff. You know, the early 1980s, a young Paul Sirenen, the scholarship to Hawaii, never played NFL gridiron before and has gone over there. That's a, that's a pretty remarkable story from back in the day. Yeah, that was sort of completely unheard of back in those days. A bit of a pioneer on that um, that route with the NFL looking at him, but he was a big unit. It's interesting from that when he came back and uh, got to start with the Tigers and he's playing Reggie's. I remember reading his autobiography and um, after his, oh, it was one of his early games, he, he he came back in to the dressing sheds and there was a saucer of milk sitting at his um, at his <laughs> at his locker. So uh, in prime, he was a big cat, but um, that seemed to fire him up from there. <laughs> he played 21 games for Australia, 14 for New South Wales. Um so he was around for a while. It's it's one of those things too um, where, you know, the other thing too is he won Rookie of the Year in 86 and he also made the Kangaroo Tour in 86 in his rookie season. Not many players do that. I also remember another thing which people will kind of laugh about, but they, these little, you know, anecdotes I love. I remember him, because I'm a, a Cronulla Southern local, um, getting offered 500000 a season to leave Balmain and go to the Cronulla Sharks. That was massive money. When that hit the headlines, that was in the early 90s, you know, that hit the headlines and that was like, wow. You know, that's who, how much money is that? 500,000 a season. That was huge money, 
huge money. He knocked it back to be a one-club man with these Tigers. Oh, that's absolutely massive money at that time. He would have been he would have would have been the highest paid player. But, um, imagine him running off Gavin Miller or something back in those days. But that, but um, it says that the the loyalty was still in the game back in those times. That's a that's a huge offer when it was still a semi-professional era, and um, he stayed at the Tigers, thankfully. It was really um, also one of the other things too. Yeah, he had a really colourful career, Ciro. He actually left and finished his career um, with a French club, um, which was US Villeneuve, which I'm sure I pronounced terribly. But he, he went to a couple of grand finals and won a grand final there. That was the other thing, unfortunately, for Ciro, as you would know, as a long-suffering Tigers fan, he went to two grand finals and won neither. But he went over to the French uh, French League, where they um, affectionately called him the Beast because of his size compared to all the Frenchmen. And uh, he, won, he won a title over there with the French side. And he talked about how um, how Curtis was just um, in kindergarten or something. And and uh, he decided to go over just for a bit of a trip because it was in the opposite season to the to the NRL. So he went over, had a trip through France and uh, France with the kids and loved it and, and played and, and actually won a grand final. I always remember him on the Kangaroo Tours too. I think that's what I remember him most fondly, that, that grand final. But also when you get the Kangaroo Tours at like 2 a.m. and stuff. Yeah, how good were those days? You'd stay up and watch the Kangaroo Tour. and uh, it's, it's something that's really missing from the game these days. I, I, I talk to a young bloke about it a bit. You don't sort of realise it was just such a great thing, the old route tours. And you would stay up and watch them in the middle of the night. And it was just a fantastic contest every time. Yeah, Zero was, a, he used to carve up. It was, such a good um, good forward pack back in those days, and he was right in the middle of it. Oh, it was awesome. And he was one of the players that I always remembered. Like, I always remembered seeing Ciro out there because he's pretty hard to miss, but you'd stay up until 2 a.m. and you'd watch him beat up on some of these, you know, lower sides because they'd always have the warm-up side, uh, games in the Kangaroo Tour before they actually play England and stuff. And he was just absolutely monster, monster everyone. And that's probably as far as... His, his style of play, per se. To me, he was a big guy, but it was remarkable what a good attacking forward he was. Like He was a second rower when he really should have been a prop based on his size, but he, he was quite agile. He was quite fit. He used to be a police officer as well. And he put on massive hits too. Like I, I think he was one of the alpha forwards of that era. Like, And you talk to anyone, and like that was a pack that had someone like Blocker in it, but you talk to everyone and everyone will be like, oh, Ciro. Like, everyone was scared of him, but also very respectful of, of Big Zero. And he was a, a legend of a bloke as well. I met him once and he was a really nice guy. And by all the reports and all the interviews I've seen, fantastic guy, really well-spoken. And he's obviously had two kids now, Perso, who are both ended up playing professional rugby league. Yeah, mate, Curtis definitely wasn't far off at that last couple of seasons. He had it manly before he left. He, he was um, playing some really good football. As a junior coming through at the Tigers, oh, he was like a... a a 5'8 sort of lock ball player. And I, I, I had a, thought he was going to be an absolute gun. I, I don't think the Tigers ever actually used him properly after Shane's left, which was a bit of a disappointment because he was a very talented footballer. And he went to Manly on the edge and he was, he was killing it those last couple of seasons, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and Bailey's um, around a little bit younger and he's um, at the Warriors at the moment, had some good time at um, the South Sydney Rabbitohs as well. Um, still young in his career too. I used to really like Curtis actually. I think that he... I think that he went over to the English Super League earlier than what he really should have. I thought he was in pretty good form. And I saw, I was a bit disappointed for Ciro because I thought that Curtis really, like, I think Ciro seemed like one of those blokes that was really proud of his kids playing footy. And I reckon he would have loved to have seen Curtis, you know, strap on a 
New South Wales jersey were green and gold. And oh, I think that he was getting pretty close to that. Well, those bow main sides that you supported as a kid, out of all the bow main sides, the ones that stick in my memory is that era. It is Paul Siren Blocker Roach, Wayne Pierce, Benny Elias, Gary Jack. And Paul Siren was my favourite out of all those blokes. He was my favourite. Big fella doing all that damage with the ball, great runner, putting on big hits, and just the frame of him. You know, he's just a monster. Yeah, he was, he's kind of one of the, the original big, wide-running edge players, Old Zero. It was, it, it, <laughs> I loved him playing for the Tigers. So we had a fantastic pack, as you said, in those days, with the loss of Blocker and Bruce McGuire and Pierce and Benny and those guys. But, yeah, Zero was always, a, it was one of my favourites. He just had that ability to get on the edge, and he was quite a skillful footballer too. That um, he'd run over the top of guys, but he had a passing game, and he, and he could hit as well. Or look, those Origin games in the nineties when you you had a forward pack of uh, Harrigan and Roberts and Siren, and, and it was just phenomenal. As, as a Blues fan, it was great. Yeah, oh, him and Lazo in the pack. It was uh, yeah, and people don't really realise they were all in the same pack because someone like Zero played second row, and even at times you had Harrigan at second row. So the size of that New South Wales pack, you would have had average height about 6'5 and 118 kilos. It was um, absolutely monsters. I think it's the biggest pack I've ever seen in a state jersey for New South Wales. But that was the glory days for us poor old long-suffering Tigers fans, that's for sure. It, it, probably the highlight, this year, obviously 89 grand final, that was a it was a shock if I was 10 years old and I ran into my room crying when we, we lost that game. But when Zero burst through and ran away and scored that try and late in the, the first half, that was just a, it was like a runaway freight train. It was awesome. And I thought we'd had the game then, but that's sort of, that's the player he was. He was he quite quick for a big man and um, just a skillful footballer. Paul Sirenen, absolute league legend. Great to chat about him and finish up on a positive note on a very controversial podcast. Per, so thanks for jumping on board again. Um, I'm sure there's a lot for you to recover from from that Tigers loss. So I'm sure we'll see you in a few weeks, but I might give you a bit of a break, mate. Yeah, always be good to be on the Talking Footy podcast with you, Barnsley. It's been a controversial, bloody spicy hard week at NRL this week, but um, hopefully Tigers don't get robbed next week. <laughs> give me something to, to uh, cheer about. <laughs> thanks mate for everyone looking for the podcast to stream or download find us on itunes uh also soundcloud you can follow us on there spotify amazon audible also follow us on twitter nrl underscore sc underscore all stars jump on the sponsor of the all stars podcast that is top sport go to topsport.com.au or download the really easy to use app and use sc all stars when you create an account have a punt with them do it responsibly but make sure that they know you're one of our listeners so they can take great care of you when you put that promo code in SC All-Stars, look forward to doing a Supercoach episode with none of the controversy, hopefully, after the weekend on TLT for Tuesday and also another Talking Footy this week. Manly versus Roosters tonight. Enjoy the game. Enjoy all the debutants stepping up because that's going to be a big positive. And we've got a young Fulton playing again with his granddad looking down from the sky. So that's going to be a real special moment too. So let's take the positives out of the round, guys and girls. I can't wait to chat to you about them all next week. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, 